for our boy Dan Kurtz. Okay. Dan Kurtz is one of those people whose validation you crave. At least I crave. He just exudes confidence. He's hilarious. He always has a pulse on what's going on, not only in your immediate environment, but also like in the world. Not to mention he's an incredibly hard worker who puts his head down and just get shit done. His hard work paid off. He worked his way from support, like me, to team lead and is rocking his job as a first-time manager. Yeah, so we wanted to sit down with Dan to kind of learn more about, you know, his becoming a first-time manager, how to maintain your personal brand as a manager and what that balance looks like, like how he approaches his relationships with his colleagues, what he struggles with, what he's, you know, things he's really, really good at. And this was, this was a really good conversation that we had with Dan. So enjoy. (laughs) Dan goes, Dan goes, I'm the host now. (laughs) I'm like, oh God. Well, like Zoom tells you, like literally it tells yeah. you. Well, Dan, it's still recording. <laughs> wow, it's still recording. That's cool. I wonder what yeah. I missed. <laughs> well, thank you both for coming to my meeting today. Thank you so much. Thank you for You're having You're probably us. wondering why I called this meeting, and I don't yeah. know. So, yeah. Word. We use the banter as part of the intro, so. I love that. I love yeah. that. I was and like, this, this is also how the, this for. the whole podcast is actually just like this. It's just so. us having conversations. The outline is merely so that it looks like we are legitimate, uh, but we we probably won't use a ton of it because we're just going to okay, have a conversation. I think that's incredible. I probably should have Googled like podcast etiquette, which is like, make sure you speak in short bursts and no, then mm-hmm. listen mm-hmm. for at least a minute. Uh-uh. No, you know what? I'm really glad. I'm really glad that you didn't because we don't even know what podcast etiquette is and we don't want it. So... Okay. Yeah, no. Allegedly, you're supposed to stick to the outline. Uh, <laughs> Allegedly, we've been doing this wrong for six months. I'm, I'm a willing participant in whatever you, journey you are both going to take me on. Oh my gosh, incredible. All right, Bridge, we want to start. Yeah, I mean, you kind of talked about it a little bit already, but tell us a little bit about your background and what you're doing now and what you like about your job right now. My gosh. Um, so... I think you're asking for my origin story, which is great. <laughs> I'm asking it's, for it all from the very- Okay, well, it, it started on August 7th, 1991. I was born that day. Uh, yeah, no, put that like, in the self-control and cheese calendar so that we can oh, yeah. tweet out happy birthday, Dan. <laughs> Do I get my happy birthday like prize pack every year from yeah, self-control well, and so cheese? You know, yeah. Yes, it's like yeah. Sephora benefits, but worse. Okay, well, so um, I will skip all of the really uninteresting details of the first like 26 seven years of my life I don't know but essentially I came to Boston for school proud northeastern alum basically when I got here I didn't have a clue what I was doing obviously I don't think many people don't have a clue what they're doing but I picked up psychology because I wanted to stay in the sciences um, and I wanted to think about the way people think which led me oddly enough to an intro to linguistics course and person so I was like okay I like thinking about language and I like thinking about the way people think so I ended up just combining those and after school, I started working for Apple, like the Boylston Street store downtown. <laughs> and so that got me into like customer support in like a really fast paced, mm-hmm. like high pressure environment. Like, yeah, I'm just selling a phone, but like, you know what an Apple store is like and people are ruthless to Apple employees. Shout yeah. out everyone who's ever worked a retail job or a restaurant job. Sarah, you, Sarah, you can definitely relate, I think, right? I don't know yeah. if you've ever worked mm-hmm. in like 
a restaurant, like people are just brutal, right? So like, I think that's where I really cut my teeth on like customer support, but also like being able to handle like dumpster fire environments where a lot is happening. Mm -hmm. And then I got to drift, I don't know, over the course of like three different application processes, the third of which finally I just like cut out the recruiting and went right to, I think Sarah, I was like, yo, remember me from the last time I applied? Can you help? It was like persistence. And then like the timing was finally right. Uh, And I joined our support team. So yeah, it was kind of an interesting transition um, from retail to to tech. But I think a lot of those things that I learned at Apple, which were like how to take feedback, how to like not completely have a meltdown when a customer is like less than polite to you, was really how I managed to not die. Yeah, it's Apple is an interesting one because it's more, it's less customer service, more customer experience, right? Mm -hmm. I mean- that's kind of what they're trying to replicate in tech. So that would make sense. Yeah. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Um, it was, I was not part of like the technical like genius bar. I was actually like in sales, mm-hmm. but so much of that like triage, like talking to the person at the door, the iPad, scheduling the appointments, like you have to make everything feel great. It's a production. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It, it's literally a drama. I was like, well, you want to break, you want to fix your computer, which you dropped in water and it's finals week. I don't have an appointment for six days. Yeah. What? And, ha- and having to make uh, like people who are crying right. not feel like you hate them oh, in a store with glass doors so that everybody, on, not only in the store, but out on the streets, out on Boylston Street, who's doing their shopping, like also sees someone yelling at you and like making cry. That sounds very similar to experience of a one-on-one in tech because all glass, all the fucking like little conference rooms are glass. Like why? Is conference that- rooms. Conference like, rooms. Look like, into I them. Just my crying room. Like I would. You have just have to sit room. at the chair that faces the wall yes. and not that yes. faces the door. That means mm-hmm. you have to be the first one in the room. I think everyone should cry in at least one one-on-one because it's horrible and traumatic. But then you're like, wow, like maybe I do care at least some about this job. But like there, it's in there somewhere, right? Which yeah. like it's like an interesting thing. Which I don't know if it's good or bad, but like, yeah, I, I do think- and don't recommend it. I, I also would recommend crying in your one-on-one at least once so you can just process your feelings all the way out. Yeah. Like, oh, I actually can think logically. I'm just like so pent up right now that I can't think logically. But Some of my best conversations have been the follow-up conversations that have happened after those one-on-ones mm-hmm. where you're like, this is going off the rails because I'm so emotional. And like, I care very deeply about my work. I mean, I'm an emotional person. So like when I feel the stakes are high and I also feel like maybe disappointed in myself, I get worked up which yeah. is something that I've always been having, you know, to work on. But sometimes it's that moment where you say like, I- I'm sorry that I'm getting emotional. I- I'm taking this really seriously. Maybe can we follow up and have another conversation when you've processed, you're like a little bit calmer and like yeah. you can go way further with those conversations and turn them actually into something productive that is steamrolled out of control. I'm also like that, very emotional. Yeah. Extremely. And I've, I don't know where yours like comes from. I've, through a lot of therapy, kind of realized mine comes from, I'm really bad at setting reasonable expectations for myself. Like not even for other people. Like I've kind of figured that out, but like for myself, my expectations are like unattainable. And then I get upset when Mm. I can't like get to where I think I should be. I think also the, the conversation after the breakdown is nice because you, there are no like niceties. It's just like, let's get to the point about what's actually happening. Cause Mm. that's my thing of like, 
uh, my mind is always 17 steps ahead of where I am right now on like a regular basis and then like throw in an emotion that I don't want to feel. And that's all I can think about. And then we're talking about the ABM plan and I'm sobbing when mm-hmm. I really want to talk about <laughs> like Why the I'm team sobbing. structure. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I haven't um, um, invested in, in therapy, which I think that every single person on the face of the earth can benefit from. And I'm looking forward to maybe spending some of that energy and money in 2021 on just chatting with someone who I'm paying to listen to me. No, it's been, it seriously has been kind of life-changing. Like I was never somebody that went growing up or anything like that. It probably should have been because like my friends are great and my family, like I have a really good sport system, but I couldn't like trust anyone to just be like so straight with me. And like, actually, it's not that my friends weren't giving me good advice. I just, they always are biased, right? They're, they're. I'm just close with them. So I'm like, yes, I will pay somebody to listen to me and tell me what I need to do to actually make progress. So I highly recommend. And what's so cool is that like sometimes it's just having that sounding board of someone like I'm speaking to someone and they're listening, you end up talking yourself into the answer or the solution, right? It's not like they, they're always going to give you the answer. Mm-hmm. Or they always have the answer. That's really not their job. It's like, it's just to lead you to maybe like additional perspective. Yeah. So have you ever like solved your own problem in that way? That is like one of the coolest things. That's Sarah and I do that on the podcast all the time. Bridget's my <laughs> therapist. This is a version of therapy. No, but I think it's just a good way for you to start to understand yourself better. I see and value all of your multitudes. I do. <laughs> oh gosh. Wow. Is that how you speak to your new team? Is that how I speak to my new team? Yeah. I haven't said that line yet, but I am trying to, uh, you know, develop and refine the way that I communicate professionally. I'm a loud, brassy bitch. I will say whatever is on my mind and I will say it to pretty much anybody. And I think that's partly why I've been successful sometimes, but also part of the reason why I've been unsuccessful other times. Mm -hmm. And so when you have people who you're not only like friendly with in a work setting, but who are like your direct reports and you are responsible for their success all of those things that you do say to them they become elevated they hold more weight so i was in a one-on-one this week and had to like answer a question that was tough and it's rare when i'm like at a loss for words but like i was like one second when i had to collect my thoughts because it's like i want to make sure that i'm helpful informative clear and i don't like make them feel a certain way Right. I want to be as objective as possible. So that's definitely a skill that I'm like currently really, really focused on. Yeah. I, when I was made, I only have managed people for like six months and one of them happened to be like, it was, I was moved away from being peers and like then moved into management of these two people. And one of them was like, one of my really close friends at, at G2. And it was extremely hard to be like, I have, there's a line that I can't cross here. Like we can cross when we leave the building but like, I, it's really hard to be like, I can't be your friend. I have to be your boss right now. And I have to kind of like have some kind of composure. It's tough. I feel like it's also tough for the people who have those like internal, I don't want to use the word brand because it's like, but like the people who have the internal brands where like, we know this person with these personality traits, like, but now they're also my boss. Like, I wonder what that's going to be like. And if they go into those kinds of situations with some sort of like uh, unconscious or very conscious bias of like how they're going to work with that person and how you kind of like work through those preconceived notions while still maintaining your personality, which is like why people know you in the first place. Mm. I feel like that's going to be something that I struggle with because I like who I am, but Mm -hmm. I don't want, Mm -hmm. but I also want to be taken seriously. 
Yeah. That's a bold and refreshing take. I like who I am. That's that that is great. Well, like you would understand this, right? You're like a super online person, right? And yeah. you have also like the like your job is online and your personal life is also online. How do you marry those two things, right? Like I have some coworkers who follow me on Twitter and it's like, well, <laughs> you damn sure aren't getting the exact same Dan Kurtz in the office as you are on Twitter and that's yeah. for everyone's benefit mm-hmm. um, and I'm very very like intentional that like I don't talk about work a lot I don't like name where I am because like I want to make sure that those things are as separate as possible while still allowing myself like the creative space to be like yeah I want to be just like a regular person mm-hmm. yeah I think a cool like a, a way that I've seen you embody this of like I am who I am but I'm also really fucking good at my job is by being really fucking good at your job there's one thing to like be really loud and outspoken and like have this personality and then you go and work with that person and they're an absolute nightmare versus it kind of legitimizes you a little bit where you can have the like maturity to turn something on and off and I feel like that sort of balance plays well with being a manager having a team but also being a good employee and like direct report i'm just like yeah i'm hilarious but i also have really high standards that i will hit because i also care about this and take it seriously yeah definitely and i think that that's a good point when you are like that that boisterous without like talent or like or being able to deliver then you just become the person that everyone's like, he's just making noise again. That's my biggest fear in life. Like if somebody was to ask me what my biggest fears are, it's to be like an actual imposter in my job, not just like feel like one. Mm -hmm. And then my dog running away. Like those are my two (laughs) biggest fears. Um, I like what you talk. Okay. So we have talked a few times about like coming from a retail slash food service sort of environment of just like the resilience that that builds how how if you have yet have you figured out how to build that resilience in people who may not have experienced it or if you haven't yet like we can brainstorm or we can talk about how that would be dope if people were just born with common sense and a sense of urgency but they're not yeah we know that's not true no <laughs> <laughs> like yeah but yeah we don't have the, the you know the receipts and the proof of that um i don't think that i have necessarily like figured that out yet I, let, let me just say also that like uh, i'm still very much figuring out the man the manager thing it's like the, the imaginary sign that says like days without an incident says like four <laughs> right like right now um so check back in and maybe it'll say zero yeah um but i think one of the things specifically also working in like in a restaurant you kind of just have to take a lot of shit and like in a restaurant you like, are like yep 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 customer's always right no worries i'll take it off your bill whatever like there's yeah, just so to, like roll that. off like, your back too you like can't think about yes. the last hour and you don't get to end up and process that right you don't get to talk about it in a one-on-one at a restaurant they're like i don't give a fuck get out of here and like we're gonna you know enjoy your three dollars an hour but I think one of the things that you are afforded when you move out of that into a more professional environment and one of the things, conversations that I've had with some people is being able to push back, you know, like you, someone gives you feedback or someone says, no, I want this. And they're really bugging you is being able to like, take the time to process that, read that email again, read that Slack Mm -hmm. message twice. And then saying, actually, this is what's going to happen. Right. And they're very intentional about your language. Right. I had a conversation recently that don't use the word, unfortunately, that's a stop word. And it immediately tells people that they you've done something wrong or they're going to be disappointed. And they immediately change their, their like entire way that they respond to you. So if you just give them the facts objectively without that kind of language, 
it sets a completely different tone or at least keeps things neutral and from and like escalating further um, and you can then work them into de-escalation but I think that experience in, in like a restaurant and like customer service of just being able to like take things and then when you have the time to be able to push back that confidence that's something that I try to help people like build and talk through about like no you should stand up for yourself you should you, you're, you're giving the facts, but it comes across like you're apologetic in giving them. And, you, and I don't think that you should be in a lot of situations. Mm, I love that. Are you in like any management trainings or like, do you do a lot of like reading on your own time or like how, cause that's like incredibly, no. <laughs> that's really thoughtful though. Like no, that's, that's something huge. that like, I've, I never heard any of my managers ever say out loud before. And it's just because I, I've never really in tech specifically, like aside from right now, my, all of my managers at G2 are just, none of us had training. So I think that like, I have a room full of free business books as part of, you know, a perk of whatever, of like working in SaaS, right? Everyone wants to learn thought leaders, which spoiler alert, I, I mean, personally I think is kind of bullshit. I will say back to Apple, Apple was like absolutely the most formative job I've had in my career. And because I got a ton of really, really tough feedback because as a person who was results oriented and driven, but also really boisterous and will say anything, that got me in literal trouble like yeah. several times. And I had a manager, shout out Danielle Walters. She's at HubSpot now. Sat me down and was like, you can't do this. Like, you are getting in your own way when you are like a high performer, but you cannot remain patient or composed with customers. You they either love you or they hate you, right? Like mm-hmm. no one, no one is neutral about their opinion about about me. Yeah, I, would, I feel like, like I'm, we're like, very similar in that. Yeah. I either am what people love me or they hate me. There's no in yes. between. See, There's I am no a between. major people pleaser. I'm like, you must love me. Well, well so it's I, very important to me to be liked. I'll, yes. I project confidence, but it is very deeply important Same. for me to be liked by people. But Danielle sat me down and we did this several times, this exercise. Have you heard of like Lominger? And they, they had, he has a list of competencies, but it was like literally this huge deck of cards with all these competencies. And she asked me to sort of sort them into what I thought I was like highly skilled at medium skill or like not skilled at all. And the two we really identified that I like still identify as my, my areas for growth are our patience and composure. Mm-hmm. And I think that through like repeated feedback from managers about when I like break my composure or when I am not patient with people, that's really helped me like just be develop that awareness that I'm thinking about the things that I'm saying or thinking about how I'm perceived. Because in the beginning of my career, if someone asks me a question that I have already told them the answer to, or I think is stupid, the eyes roll on like, whatever and like you're you're gonna get some attitude that was that was sort of the results of my not having those skills yeah I really like your the way that you approach feedback that you're given it's not it doesn't seem to be to you like a negative thing it's like oh I just need to work on that that's really healthy yeah and again not to bring it back to Apple again but like that's the first place where I was like inundated with that culture of fearless feedback it was you know in the onboarding it was constant always positioning feedback with permission like hey do you have some time for me to give you some feedback now like always giving the other person the ability to opt into receiving that or say like hey can we circle up back when i'm in a space or 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 not busy or like emotionally healthy whatever but having that feedback be really honest and transparent and objective and taking the emotion out of it so that like assuming positive intent and actually being able to handle feedback like I've, i've been in that kind of a culture for years and i think that that's also what's helped me be successful at um, my, in my current role yeah. because it's not new for me. So it's something that like when I talk to my 
direct reports about how to approach feedback conversations, I always go back to those learnings because I think taking the emotion out of when you're giving it is great, but also being honest with yourself about when you're able to receive that feedback rather than just being like, yes, please tell me. You have to protect yourself and be able to in a space where you'll be able to understand process and then action that feedback. Yeah, I love that. What other lessons did you learn? Because that was bring out your yeah, pen that and paper. One. That's so impactful and so useful. I'm like, is there more? Like, are you holding back on us? What else should I know? Um, I think, again, like the, the, the language that you use sort of studied and, and thought about in, in, in school with linguistics is that like that language has meaning and it has like power and influence and how we wield that language gets you results. And so when you are delivering bad news, if you say like, unfortunately, this integration is like completely broken, you know, here's what I think we can do about it to maybe solve the problem. Reading that is probably going to be very disappointing. And you're going to be like, why is it broken, right? Like you're more likely to get into a negative space. But if you say something maybe along the lines of like, we've identified you know an issue with this, it's caused by this, or I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to get them. And these are the things that I think we can do to mitigate this issue and ensure that it doesn't happen again by taking these steps. If the way that you frame things, you, you the person reading it feels literally a different way. Yeah, because you're making progress in your first email. You're not even saying like, we're at this dead stop. When you say, unfortunately, it feels like everything stops, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't have an appointment for you to get your broken iPhone screen fixed for four hours versus, as it turns out, I have an appointment that's open in four hours and we can get that phone for you fixed. In the meantime, I can help you back up your photos. Like literally, the resulting emotional connection that you have with that person and how they react is night and day different. Yeah. I think that also goes to show that the only way that you will be a an effective leader is by having soft skills. Like you can know how to physically perform an action all fucking day, but if you do it incorrectly and you can't encourage and manage a team to also be able to do that thing, then you are fucked. Yeah. And everyone should take a linguistics class as it turns out. Well, okay. The Hardest thing for me when I was a manager was delivering bad news and you seem to be great at that. So what is the hardest thing about being a manager for you? I don't know if I'm great at that. The hardest thing about being, I think, a manager is when you are assuming responsibility for the results, right? Like of other people, or you assume the, more often than not, like you assume the blame, right? Like I am here when when people who report to me succeed, that success is their credit right. should be to them. When they don't succeed, that is, almost definitely on me, almost certainly on me. And so making sure that I make time to actually like get, get to know the work that they're doing, work with them to validate and maybe QA those things, connect them with resources of people who are also going to teach them so that when we get to those performance conversations or when I look at results, right, that I can see that that's why it is the way it is, whether it's good or bad, right? And I think that so often people might have a manager that doesn't understand the day-to-day -day of the job that they're doing because they just don't have time, right? Like everyone's overworked and everyone's busy. And so you just sort of get this like, oh, well, maybe if you do it this way, that'll help. And then there's no follow-up. Maybe you talk about it three months later and then you have to deal with whatever shit has been accumulating for the last little while. So I think the hardest thing is making sure that you stay close to the work of other people that you are technically not doing yourself yeah. and caring about that work deeply. 
I feel like we're also asking like so many questions about the act of being a manager, but I want to talk about the act of becoming a manager. Also, like, what did you do to set yourself up for that conversation that you then had with your manager where they were like, I think you are ready to take on this responsibility. And then also what went through your head of like, oh shit, I got to make sure I do this or like, oh fuck. Yeah, I deserve this. I'm going to absolutely rock it. So like Mm -hmm. what, how did you set yourself up? And then like, what happened when it happened? (laughs) I had to become, first and foremost, like a really great individual contributor, right? You don't become a manager, or I don't think that you should probably become a manager before you can do the job. And you Mm -hmm. have to perform really, really well. You have to get the results and you have to probably spend a lot of the time in your role that doesn't necessarily not responsible for, like teaching that stuff out or like teaching it out, documenting um, whatever, so that other people can like try to replicate that success. Mm -hmm. And then... For me personally, it was also, this is where the work is. Our team is scaling. Our customer base is growing. We need leaders. And so I was sort of just like, I want to be a leader. Show me how to get there, right? I want to do that. I take a lot of pride in being some of, you know, the first of something, Yeah. Um, right? There's a lot of risk reward there, but like, yeah, I want to go do it. So if you say there's an opportunity here, like, let me go chase that down. But at the same time, it came a lot with like, there's so many questions, like, how am I going to be? you know, graded on my performance. How do I manage still the player coach, right? And have my own customers that I have to take care of and make sure that they're successful. And with a young business, how do I make sure that the things that we're doing, which seem random and may be working or may work or may not work, how do we document and be, let's keep doing those things or let's never do those things again. Yeah. And teach that out. Wild. It's refreshing to hear you say, oh, I just said I did want to be a manager at some point that had to come out of your mouth. I had the same conversation when I started this company. I was like, this is what I want. What projects do I have? Like, what are you, how do I fit in here? What can I take on outside of what's on my job description? Like, what can I take off of your plate to my boss? You know? I think, yeah, one of, in my heart, like I'm a, I'm a people person. So I think that getting to be involved with someone's professional development and personal development is rewarding to me in itself Mm -hmm. and mentoring right that's the most fun part of being i think like a manager or just like a leader right or being a mentor i don't want to be a manager i want to have mentorship opportunities that are codified there there's a difference between a manager that's given authority and a leader which is earned authority yeah yes that too and like i don't want to just be a person that's like oh i i'm your boss right like i don't I don't want to be just someone's boss. But when I have these conversations about like, let's figure out how to solve this problem that you're having. That's just like this great intellectual exercise. And it's something that's fulfilling. You get to like see someone do the work and then come back to you and ask for feedback. Like there's just so much collaboration there, which I think is like really, just like really great. I think that you just did a really good job of like paving the way. And I think that helps me understand also that there's just like a lot of personal work that you need to do before you can lead a team because you need to be able to identify the kinds of conversations that you should be having with your direct reports and then be like oh yeah we're going to talk about that and we're going to talk about like the game plan for you because you can anticipate the the issues that your team might have and then be able to have those conversations before i think for people who are super impatient who are like well why can't i have this influence now it's like well are you able to even recognize those specific issues for yourself and then take it upon yourself to have those conversations with your manager to be like hey i know that i'm going to be approaching an absolute breakdown unless we (laughs) don't something out Yeah. yeah unless we figure something out so i think it just like we talk about this a lot, but like you need to have self-awareness of 
what you are good at, what you're bad at, and also like what you do on a regular basis and how that impacts the entire organization as well as your team. But also like you have to do the fucking work. No one's just going to hand you a leadership position because you decided that you want it. Mm -hmm. I think too, the ability, not even the self-awareness to like be able to identify things, but when you're a manager specifically, you have to have the self-awareness to like take your emotions out of the equation. It's not about you. Like none of, it's not about you when it, it's about you when it comes to your work and your feelings around your work and your team. But when somebody is bringing you something, it, you, you have no say of like how they should be feeling. You just have to be so open to how they're feeling and it's going to be different than how you are too. So like, that was always a big struggle for me was like, I don't, I, unless I'm really close with them and like have built a strong relationship, that's why that's so important. Those soft skills because you have to create a safe space for people to bring their shit to you. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It's a really good point. Like if every time someone comes to you with something that's a problem for them, and then you like get stirred up in your own emotions and how that like that affects you, they're like, I'm coming to you with my shit. Stop making it your shit, Right. right? You have to be able to just put that aside so that you let them dump whatever they need to dump. And then you say, cool. What this is, it seems like this is the root cause. Maybe this is how we start working toward fixing it, right? If it's a problem, but like, yeah, people will stop coming to you. They won't feel comfortable coming to you. They're like, I don't want to deal with your emotional baggage. Like, why am I pulling, doing that, you know, labor for you or whatever? So absolutely. I think that it's really important to stay like objective and like emotionless when someone is coming to you with the problems that they're having with their work, because they want assistance. They don't necessarily need to commiserate right. with you. I want to know how we can make it better for them. Mm-hmm. Like that's what we want to talk about. Back to like how I sort of got to be being a manager. And like, I just want to say also I'm, I'm extremely competitive. And so like, there's definitely a part of me that wants to, that is what is, what is being a leader and being like a senior, you know, designer or someone who's an individual contributor. What does that look like? Right. Cause like, I want to always be in charge. A part of me, it wants to be like in charge of my own results. Like, like I'm responsible for my own work. And then like the sky's, the sky's the limit, right? So there's these two competing parts that I think to my personality and like how I like to work professionally. I used to think of it as sort of being at odds, right? You're either an individual contributor, super competitive, or you're maybe a people manager who like cares about success of others and just will drop everything to help everyone. And I don't think that those things have to be mutually exclusive. I think that maybe what I'm trying to sort of figure out as I move forward in this stretch role for myself is how that competitive nature can be like turned into fuel to make the people who report to me care about their work, but then also how I can make sure that I can help them as much as possible so that we all are successful, right? I was going to say, you and I are very similar and I haven't even started to tackle that problem. So I'm going to let you handle it and then you can circle. I'll, <laughs> I'll let back. you, I'll circle back. I'll yeah. circle yeah. back. <laughs> because that, no you problem. like you bring up an excellent point of like uh, a lot of my fulfillment comes from achieving something myself. Yeah. And so when I take on the responsibilities of others and like my six like their success means that I'm doing my job well it's it's not going to feel the same as me doing my own thing and that doesn't mean that when you're a people manager your tasks go away and you don't get to execute it just happens at a different level Mm -hmm. and it's it's that scary thing of like you can kind of give away the responsibility that you're very comfortable with and like search for new responsibility which just is very scary because then you start from zero again where you're 
trying to get good at a new thing while also trying to delegate and teach other people how to be good at something you're comfortable with. And I don't know how I'm going to deal with that, Mm -hmm. but we will Mm -hmm. cross that bridge. The added layer on top of that, Sarah, is that person that you delegated that task to is going to do it different. Yes. And that is like, that was a huge teaching moment for me when I was my brief stint as a manager was like, they have to figure out how to make it work for them. Unless it's going completely off the rails, I don't need to jump in there and say, oh, it makes more sense to do it this way. It's so much more impactful if I don't think that it's going to completely, like I said, derail the project to like give them the kind of tangent to they need to like find the path again, mm-hmm. I think is really important. And as somebody that's not patient, I'm like, okay, well, I could see that because I did that same thing when I started that project. And But giving them the space to kind of figure out about themselves is really important. And I think not enough managers do that. Did y'all ever read Rainbow Fish as kids? Mm -hmm. It's a children's story about this fish who has these beautiful scales and he's really selfish. Yes. And he's beautiful and he's arrogant and he's got an ego. And he's like, you know, I don't have any time for anybody else because like I'm the best one around. And then throughout the story, he like sees people who need things and he gives them his scales, his beautiful scales so that they can also have literally a piece of his shine. And he, you know, the story ends like he, he has no scales. He's like completely gray, but he's, he has a bunch of friends and he's happy and he's fulfilled because he's helped a bunch of other people. But it's like really kind of a childish question, but I think it applies when you are like competitive and you are very focused on like, I want to be successful for myself and my work needs to be great. And then marrying that to management, which is like, if I teach someone or give someone like the tools so that they can also be great, I don't have less. I end up having like someone else in my corner. I have someone I've made successful who trusts me, who values my opinion. They see me as someone they can come to. That makes, that makes me better. It like couldn't possibly take away. You can only add. We're also like hype men here, hype women, hype men. And so it's like hype people. So I feel like that's an excellent point of like, if I'm working closely with someone who I've helped guide through an obstacle and then they come out and they've solved it, I'm going to be like, fuck yeah, dude. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And it, and it feels better for them if they like figured it out themselves too. Yeah. All right. Now is my pressing question. <laughs> what cheese is currently in your fridge right now? And like walk us through how you like, what are the combinations? Like, I don't just want the cheese, but I want like the experience. Yeah, we need the spread in the full recipe yeah. situation. Start to finish. And if it's the feta pasta from TikTok, I'm stopping the recording right now. <laughs> Enough. So much, so much to unpack. So much to unpack. I was looking at the outline, which just says cheese. And I'm like, I wonder if this is a question about literal cheese. And if it's not, I'm going to be bad. So it better be a question about fucking cheese. Self-control um, and cheese. You- do y'all want the real, y'all want the real tea? Yeah. We want it all. When I was thinking about like what I really wish that I had, you know, if we weren't in a panini, if we weren't in a pandolce, <laughs> I miss Oak Bar, like at the Fairmount Copley in Boston, which is just oh. like this really stupid bougie bar um, oh, that I like love bar. to go to after work because their charcuterie like is just like legendary. It's just, you used to be able to like, it came in sizes. It would come out on this huge board that was like in the shape of a paddle. And I would just like go in there usually with my friend Lauren and we'd like have a couple martinis and I'm not a martini mm-hmm. person. And we would just get a charcuterie and that was like a treat for like surviving. Yes. Pick pick a thing. That's pick the, a thing. That's the I biggest thing that. that we're missing all right now is like, can we just go to a bar and do happy hour after we had the worst day ever? Like that's I, all we I are, want. We are in, in terminal days, weeks, months, and now a year of like, it's just some shit. And I live in my house and I live where I work. And like, 
if you told me that I could just like go out and have dinner with like some friends, I'd lose my mind. But completely different plane. I'd be like, you can throw any shit at me professionally yep. at my job now. I'm going out and I'm getting drunk. Yeah. Um, but I'm <laughs> having a charcuterie. Um, and it's all gonna be fine. I'll be able to get through it. Bridget, Amazing. you need I've done the I've done the sign up too. Oh god, I'm just gonna wing it. Okay, it's been great. It's been great having you. Follow us on social, <laughs> leave us a review. The fact that none of you left says. a review after I cried on this recording is literally batshit um, insane. So you owe us a re- Apple podcast review. If you don't know how to do it, DM us on Twitter or LinkedIn, and I will send you a personal video and also stickers. And Sarah still ended up doing the sign off. So, okay, love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. <laughs>